Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast. My name is Adam Beck, your host for the Chronicles, and my day job, Executive Director for the Smart Cities Council here in the Australia and New Zealand region, uh, welcoming you to episode 55 on the Chronicles. Uh, we're now uh, well into 2020. It's now February. Uh, and this, uh, this episode... Um, is the first of a new series that we're introducing, which is called The Week in Data. Uh, and this, uh, this uh, episode series uh, will go for 2020. And really what we're doing is checking in with uh, someone out there in government and industry, and we have a conversation about what they've heard and seen and read uh, around all things data. And joining me for our, our inaugural episode of The Week in Data is Eric Lowe from our member company, Oricon. Eric, welcome to The Chronicles. Hello. Um, our listeners uh, are scattered all over the world, Eric. So what I'd like to do is uh, ask you to give a bit of an introduction. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, I'm data. Um, I'm the director of data and analytics for Oricon Group, which is a um, large engineering consultancy. Predominantly, we've got about uh, seven thousand engineers worldwide. And what I'm leading is uh, a very rapidly growing area, which is the application of advanced analytics and sort of big data management within that space. So the the, the broad engineering and design space. Uh, which of course touches uh, transport, it touches infrastructure, built environment, uh, utilities, and so on. All of which uh, you know are are sort of relevant to the conversation we're about to have. Um, so we have a you know a fairly um, uh, sizable team and and growing of uh, data scientists, data engineers, and then um, people who sort of probably work more at the strategic level. Eric, just um, from a contextual point of view and uh, having previously and, and continued to sort of work in, in the built environment myself, um, I mean, the built environment, you know, engineering, planning and design, uh, it's no stranger to data, of course, you know, um, data is part of all of those professions and those disciplines. Um, but I do remember a time, you know, not too long ago where, um, data analysts, uh, data scientists were sort of not, um, you know, sort of professions or staff that would mm. be employed in sort of organizations like Oricon. What, what's this transformation that's going on? I mean, how do you, how do you have the job that you have within an organization like that? Where did that come from? Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, question. Um, you're quite right. I mean, it's uh, the engineering fields, of course, uh, highly quantitative. Um, so it's not that uh, engineers engineers don't work with data. They do every every day. Um, it's not that they don't um, understand uh, you know analytical techniques. Of course they do. But what has sort of uh, changed is that uh, more diverse types of data and uh, much larger sort of volumes of data uh, are are becoming available in all kinds of contexts. For example, video video. Uh, footage or, or imagery uh, and geographical data, sort of uh, mobility data and so on. And that is becoming very relevant to, uh, for example, design decisions, for example, in ur urban precincts or in infrastructure. And 
it's a different mix of skills that uh, is okay with working with that kind of data and indeed applying where it's relevant um, techniques like AI or, or machine learning. And what we're seeing is not only are a lot of clients, both in government and the private sector, um, either embracing or very interested in uh, the relevance of that to their particular uh, challenges, but but we're even seeing it appearing frequently, almost almost now sort of the norm for for there be to be some aspect of that being requested in RFPs, for example, um, requests for proposals. So. Uh, it's not as if um, we're kind of pushing the boat out here. We're sort of almost being dragged into it. And um, and so, so I've really come on board to take what was really a set of um, kind of, dis, you know, distributed capabilities scattered about the firm. We've actually had quite a lot going on for several years now, but really bringing that into a more sort of scalable and, and, and bringing it into sort of a more business as usual uh, sort of mode of operation. Mm, interesting. And I, I imagine we're not going to see that um, sort of wane anytime soon. Um, okay, well, let's let's get stuck into sort of the weekend data. Um, I'm going to sort of throw it to you, Eric, first um, to kick off. What have you seen, read or heard that you wanted to talk about? Uh, well, I think it, what's, what's really interesting to me is how many um, cities really are embracing uh, there's this notion of a smart city in, in one form or the other, some in a, you know, in a very um, strategic and, and sort of, if you like, systematic way and others sort of almost in a, a bit more of an emergent way, you know, that's, that uh, some, some mix of sort of private initiative, citizen-based initiative, and, and then sort of uh, kind of scattered uh, initiatives within government itself. Um, I think what is is sort of becoming apparent to me is that uh, this, perhaps I don't know if it's an outdated notion, but this notion that it, it could be sort of uh, the, the, this vision of a smart city as being sort of some kind of centrally planned and highly organised uh, transition from, you know, the, the not so smart city to the smart city uh, and mm. however you define it is a little is a little outdated i think what we are seeing is a degree of um you, you get a mix of both uh, and, and and this is the way it's I, I think it's beginning to play out a mix of both um planning and and sort of attempting to um, provide the necessary conditions within which a uh you know the, the promise of being able to apply and uh, collect more data and apply that to decision making and sort of uh, urban flow and uh, all all of the sort of uh, areas in which we uh, see benefits uh, as being possible uh, and that that's also combined it's a, it's more about setting the conditions perhaps providing uh, signposts and and sort of visions as to where where it could go and and then I think a lot of the, um, the the traction actually is often happening at at, uh, at a more sort of emergent uh, level. So it, it, it's a notion that if you provide the right conditions, uh, the the uh, applications and uh, the uh, innovation uh, that which which would be required to drive those applications will sort of 
emerge. Um, so it's not quite hands-off, it's not quite laissez-faire, but it, it, it's, not, it's also not centrally planned. Let me ask you the question about technology and data in that smart cities conversation and what you're hearing and seeing. Um, there's certainly, um, you know, when you sort of consume um, the blogs and when you hear people speak, you know, you, you get you get conversations and presentations and dialogue around technology uh, and sensors uh, mm -hmm. and, and sort of hardware. Um, yeah. And then you get then you get the the, the the data view of the smart cities world, um, analytics and um, da data, you know, warehouses and dashboards. How how are you seeing sort of the technology, the data um, conversations sort of? evolving i mean we always use at the smart cities council technology and data for good um you, you can't sort of just smart cities isn't just technology indeed technology in some cases is merely the vehicle to capture information that you you know you then use to generate insights and make better decisions talk to me about um as a data person um do, do you feel that data is underrepresented do you do you feel that we're as government and industry was sort of understanding that the role that both play. Well, what are your views on, on that sort mm, of um, mm. on, on that piece? Yeah, I think actually it, here it's sort of helpful to um, uh, revisit, you know, a commonly used analogy, which is, um, and and it, I think it's a it's a useful analogy because it it makes it a little bit easier to I think grasp. Um, if you, uh, so sorry, the analogy is the sort of biological analogy with nervous systems and so on. Um, the the hardware, if you like, is uh, essentially the um, the sensors uh, aspect of so 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 the so the receptors and um, and people, if you like, who are you know citizens who are providing data uh, about um, their their behavior or their their, their movements. Uh, instrumentation if you like is kind of the analogous to the receptors that we have whether it's uh, you know light or touch or uh, proprioception etc the underlying um, uh, transport system for the data that there that is generated by those sensors uh, is analogous essentially to the nerves and and that is essentially like our um, uh, our network. So, obviously, with the emergence of five G and and uh, um, sort of more high bandwidth, low um, low latency sort of uh, networks, it becomes increasingly um, a rich environment in which to transport data around, share data, and so on. And then the processing of that data is where you begin to apply decision making, prediction, intelligence, and so on. Um, I think where the analogy perhaps bears you know greater scrutiny and this is sort of of great interest to me is where does data processing happen we, so if we've got sensors out there in in or nerve you know kind of essentially uh, receptors in various different forms um whether it's iot or you know uh, control systems or uh, even human beings um uh, 
we've got a, a great communication network, so you know, a, a good nervous system that's able to transport that information. Where does the processing happen? Now in advanced uh, organisms, processing happens at multiple layers. Um, quite a lot of processing is done literally at the receptor. If you look at what actually happens in our, um, in our retinas, there's an enormous amount of processing before any signal gets passed up the optic nerve into the brain. And then even at the brain, there are several different layers of, of processing. Uh, so this I think is instructive because I think this is essentially what you will see emerging. You'll have um, edge-based uh, computing, which uh, is increasingly become prevalent. So, you know, intelligence embedded in devices that are that's designed to do a certain thing, you know, number plate recognition or uh, 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 being able to uh, interpret uh, the readings of a, of a sensor for sort of uh, pollution or whatever the case may be. And that gets then uh, utilized by um, sort of intermediate level applications, probably for a specific, you know, for a particular purpose. But the information, both the raw information and the, the information most likely from the applications, the interpretation of that, the processed information gets passed up at, to a higher level. And eventually, you know, you, you get this very filtered, very highly processed data uh, for information, which is available for higher order uh, functions like planning and strategizing and uh, optimizing across multiple different uh, constraints and objectives. So I think that's, it's a really interesting analogy to be able to sort of explore that and think very carefully about what we're actually observing uh, happening. And I think that's exactly what, what we do see happening, mm -hmm. that sort of multi-layer uh, um, processing and interpretation of data. So tell me, what have you read this week that's caught your eye about data? Well, uh, one, one thing that I found um, quite interesting to me was um, I've seen, uh, and I, I can't go into details for um, uh, just, just for sort of confidentiality reasons, but we've had um, a raft of uh, RFPs from, so request for proposal from, um, from utilities, from um, uh, transport network oper transport operators or transport infrastructure operators uh, from um, uh, well, water utilities uh, power utilities and um, and indeed from um, from I guess just um, parks and parks and recreation sort of uh, providers um, and they're all asking more or less the same thing which is uh, it focuses on instrumentation largely like um, there's, there's, there's an aspect in all of these uh, around um, installing more sensors mm -hmm. um, and so basically improving data collection and then interpretation of that with the objective of meeting several um, goals which would be the sort of typical goals that you would find so improving uh, traffic flow or coordination of of um, across uh, different transport modalities, um, uh, improving energy efficiency and uh, well, largely a lot of it comes down to energy efficiency in the utilities space, as well as, um, as, as, well as sort of maintaining infrastructure in a smarter way. And, um, 
and then in terms of uh, sort of urban design and and parks and so on, and understanding really the routes that people take and and you know who who visits parks, when are they used, how they use those sorts of things. But the so different, slightly different use cases, slightly different drivers, but they all have this common aspect of we need to collect better data, more data. There's, and that's a combination between leveraging sources of data that are already there that aren't currently being leveraged as well as um, instrumenting, basically installing um, sensors in, in specific places and then putting that through various analytical uh, filters and uh, using that to drive insight and decision-making. So um, it's quite diverse, but basically they're, all coming back to the same hmm. set of opportunities and drivers. Are, are you seeing um, are you seeing artificial intelligence being more prevalent in the request? Uh, yes. Around sort of you know generation of insights and and supporting a client in decision making. You are, yeah. Very much so. Um, it's I think uh, sometimes um, it's sort of just sits under the banner of sort of advanced analytics or analytics. Um, but often when you get into discussions with um, uh, clients, the, really the interest boils down to um, obviously being able to understand the data. So visualize it. And this is, uh, you touched on things like dashboards and so on. So that's often quite a, and that's, you know, you would say that might be a little bit mundane stuff, but it's actually quite important just to get insight into what's, what, what, What's there? What are the relationships, both in a sort of a retrospective view, but also sometimes in a in a real real time sort of context? But then there's this um, understanding that emerging understanding that there are things that um, we can now use AI, if you want to call it, or, or machine learning, to do, which um, uh, you know essentially augment what humans alone could do they can you know we can process vast amount of, of vast amounts of data and use um ai to interpret draw insights out recognize features um much quicker and at much greater scale than and and much lower cost than than humans in many contexts not in every context but in, in many contexts so um just for for example uh, the main of um, infrastructure where the practice of visually inspecting um, for example pipelines or building facades or road surfaces or, or traffic signage etc um, now with a combination of either satellite imagery or, or video footage uh, often taken at sort of highway speeds um, or other forms of, of, of uh, sensing can can be interpreted by um, appropriately trained machine learning models to, you know, detect cracks or degradation of concrete or uh, regrowth of vegetation around uh, important, um, you know, sort of roadsides or uh, all of that um, heavy lifting, if you like, at that layer, that sort of um, anomaly detection or uh, feature detection is perfectly suited to the sort of deep learning um, approach that you, you know, which is a subset of um, the broad area of AI. And um, that's getting enormous traction. And we, we've been involved in quite a few 
projects that um, have successfully uh, implemented those sorts of technologies for, and usually it's for a very specific purpose. It may be crack detection in a um, pipe, you know, pipeline network, sewage network, for example, or it may be detection of cracks on on all um, potholes and so on in, in in road infrastructure. So, fit for purpose, uh, highly trained, quite niche, uh, but once again, there's sort of like an abstraction uh, instead of dealing with raw data, you're dealing with, um, if you like, process data, which says, yep, there's a crack here and it's of a severity, uh, you know, high severity, there's, you know, a pothole there and it's of a medium severity, et cetera. And that data then can be utilized by humans uh, in a you know, much more efficient way to then go and direct repairs, et cetera. The, the, the camera one's an interesting one, isn't it, Eric? I mean, you, you mentioned that and, um, you know, we've had cameras sort of out there in the public realm and in the built environment in our cities for a long time. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's, it's technically a very powerful sort of information stream, is it? Because you can sort of, you can go back to it. You know, it doesn't, yeah. So, so, so yes, you know, it, it's up to date as the moment in which the, the sort of the film was, was the footage was shot, but um, it allows you to sort of go back and maybe you're originally looking for cracks, but you know, the footage picks up more. So um, I'm, I'm really intrigued about video because I think it's just such a, such a rich source of all types of information, but um, it's certainly, uh, it's just certainly on edge, isn't it, at the moment in terms of the heightened level of, you know, concern. Mm, um, our privacy and yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I was, yeah. I was, um, I think it was just over the, the vacation break, early 2020, where I was picking up that, um, I think it was Portland, Oregon on the west coast of the US, you know, they were, they were, they were building up to the big decision um, like San Francisco, you know, banning facial recognition, I think it was. Mm -hmm. So, so we've got a really prickly, uh, but important issue around cameras and sort of what then happens in the back end. Are, are you, uh, are you sort of picking up on this? You know, what, what are your views? How do you yeah. think Australia is advancing sort of dialogue around this issue? Yeah, look, this is a this is a significant issue, and I'll broaden it beyond um, I'll broaden it beyond video. Video clearly, um, you know, the, the thing that I think um, has everybody a little rattled is um, sort of facial recognition, uh, number plate recognition, uh, anything that can um, potentially be um, if if it falls into the wrong hands, or even if <laughs> you know, you could even take a harder line view, which says you know um, intrudes in into people's privacy um, in any way uh, is is of concern. Um, so the, the two areas where um, I see significant concerns being raised, and we've um, encountered this in several um, client contexts as well, uh, is uh, tracking of people through their mobile mobile phones, um, people's movements, and. Uh, and we've seen that the recent example uh, on a university campus, um, creating a, quite a quite a uh, significant concern there amongst the students that um, an application which was uh, meant to be, I guess, to to assist um, 
students uh, was also being used essentially to understand the flow of, 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 of students around the campus, et cetera. And that raised significant privacy concerns and um, that's sort of an ongoing, uh, an ongoing issue here. And we see that, uh, that particular issue around um, tracking of mobility um, being quite significant. Something like 50% of Australians um, are, you're able to track their movements very precisely um, through essentially having them having clicked on, you know, except under the terms and conditions of um, applications that they may be using. And that information is purchasable and analyzable and it can be used for good, but possibly could also be um, of great concern, even though it's in theory anonymized, um, you can still infer a lot about uh, individuals' identity just by understanding their movements. So that's a concern. And then uh, obviously facial recognition, number plate recognition, any form of um, data that uh, allows you to recognize, uh, identify individuals and you know, um, discover whatever you, you might want to discover about, about them. So that is a significant concern. I think that plays into the general uh, question and it's a, it's a challenging question of um, how do you ensure trust uh, and balance that um, the benefits from the potential um, uh, you know adverse effects of uh, sharing of data and information and we don't want a world where data isn't accessible and isn't shared but on the other hand you also don't want a world where um, data can fall into the wrong hands and um, people's privacy can be compromised. So very, very, uh, I think this this will continue to play out for, for several years to come. I don't think there's an, an easy solution uh, to getting that balance right. Um, but uh, I think it is something that uh, will we'll make trade-offs and there will be, there'll be leakage if you like in some areas. In other words, there, you know, it won't be perfect. There's not a, absolutely perfect solution but i'm fairly confident that the benefits are so significant of uh, being able to share information um, and share data uh, appropriately for for appropriate purposes that we'll we'll navigate our way through that in the same way that the internet um, clearly there's a, a lot of negative aspects of of the internet but mm. by and large the, the you know the, the greater good is served Mm, that's yeah, that, that finding that balance and that trade-off uh, when we've all individually got you know very different views and levels mm. of, of of tolerance. Um, so, last question, Eric. Tell us about uh, a conversation you've had this week about data. Um, don't disclose any names or confidential <laughs> information, but uh, uh, share with us the nature of a of a data-related conversation you've had this week. Well, the, we uh, I'm having a an one of our clients is um, uh, an, an operator of um, uh, a large sort of transport uh, network. And without sort of going to any details on that, the basic, um, the conversation we've been having and uh, which we're beginning to do some work with them now is a very interesting one. And I think it's one that um, you'll find happening in, in various guises in, in you know, uh, all over the place is 
there's stuff that we think we should be able to do that we would like to do with machine learning and 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 AI and so on. We can we can, for example, foresee uh, a situation in which we would be able to, uh, for example, um, you know, reduce our, our maintenance costs very significantly by by being able to, you know, and this is for, for infrastructure, by being able to um, understand that, you know, the conditions long before a, a fault actually appears uh, or, or a, a, you know, you actually get a breakdown or catastrophic failure, uh, which ends up being very costly and very disruptive, being able to pick pick those sort of conditions. And this, and but to do that, we would need to get, and you've mentioned it before, we'd either have to have, you know, good video footage or we would have had to have, uh, you know, a few years worth of data collected around um, because some of these failures are infrequent events. Uh, we'd have to have a few years of data. So we've got enough, uh, if you like training data on which to train a, um, a machine learning model. And, uh, but we don't have it today. So let's start now. Let's look forward two or three years, figure out what it is that uh, would really add a lot of value to the business if we were able to do it, figure out what the data dependencies are, what data we would need to be able to um, build this kind of application or this uh, machine learning model. And then let's go back and start uh, collecting that data. So there's stuff that uh, we can do today with the data that we have. Uh, and there's stuff that we can't do today, but we would, we will be able to do if we start collecting data now. It's like they say, the best time to plant a tree is uh, 10 years ago. Yeah, that's uh, right. The, the second best time is now. And I think a lot of that conversation is is recurring. Do, do you think, um, just sort of quickly uh, to come back on that one, um, you know, the, the good old baseline assessment, right, you know, mm. is, is something we're all familiar with. Um, uh, certainly constructing a baseline, developing a baseline these days must be easier and quicker than in the past. Or am I overreaching on that comment? No, I think it is. I think the barriers to, um, to well, th firstly, in terms of like the exercise of sort of understanding where you are and all that, I think you know that uh, that that can be done um, quite quite readily, and that's not too difficult. And I think the other um, aspect of that is the there, there's some applications or, or um, yeah, use cases which just by necessity are going to take quite a while to be realized. But others, there's a lot that can be done right now, um, even with existing data. And so I think there's um, cause for, you know, quite a lot of um, optimism in terms of our ability to get some low hanging fruit in terms of all of the, the, the usual sort of areas of benefit, even with not a great deal of um, change uh, to the, the underlying data that we have today. Um, it's more about being able to uh, simply assemble and access those data sources. Um, I think the, the, the harder ones are where, in, in fact, you have to kind of retrofit or you know new install in a new build. That takes time. Any anything that involves hardware and so on takes you know a bit longer to play out. Having said all of that, you know the cost of hardware and 
retrofitting sensors in, in many areas is 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 steadily coming down mm -hmm. and um, also the cost of transporting uh, data um, is is coming down so I think it will be, become easier and easier as time goes on. Yeah, absolutely. The the the, the cost and uh, the battery life and um, exactly. the, you know it, it's 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 quite staggering. Um, Eric, thanks so much for that. Um, that's been a, a a great sort of first uh, the weekend data conversation on the Chronicles. Uh, appreciate you. Um, uh, calling in from uh, from Melbourne. Uh, and so for our listeners, uh, our guest today, Eric Lowe, Director of Data Risk and Analytics uh, at Oricon, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And for our listeners who aren't subscribing to the Smart Cities Chronicles, you can. Uh, just pick your favourite podcast platform. We're out there in many places. You can always send us an email to uh, chronicles at anz smartcitiescouncil.com. You can head to our website to have a look at all of the uh, episodes and get uh, in touch with us. That's smartcitieschronicles.com. My name is Adam Beck, host of The Chronicles. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to bringing you another episode very soon.